Today we're in Revelation chapter 12. Let's go ahead and turn there. And if I could just give you a little bit of preparation for the study, I would say it this way, that you are in a war and that um, my prayer is that not only would you be a Christian who makes it to heaven, but you would be a Christian who wins all the battles along the way. You know, there's battles in your own walk with the Lord. There's battles in your marriage. There's battles for your children. There's battles uh, galore. I believe with all my heart that every single person here has certain gifts and talents, and you have a mission that you've been given by God. And so a lot of times, though, I think that many Christians, unfortunately, they don't win that particular battle, and therefore the calling upon their life or their mission for their life or whatever that was, they end up not discovering And so my prayer is that God would use this study to encourage you to win that war. You know, kind of like the Dodgers. The Dodgers won the World Series. um, And every player gets to partake, so to speak, in the victory. But does that mean that every single player had a successful season? Not necessarily, you know. Uh, And I think for us as Christians, thank God we won the war. We're going to go to heaven. But the question is, is will we win the battles along the way personally? And so that's my prayer, that God would use the study as we look basically today in the wars in the past that are historical, wars in the future that are prophetical, and wars in the present that are personal. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. It says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Now verse 1 and 2 are in reference to the nation of Israel. This woman, if you can visualize it, man, she's clothed with the sun. You know, she has the, the moon and then the twelve stars. And I've told you guys many times before that the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Because some will tell you, well, the woman is Mary. Or some will tell you the woman is the church. But, but look at Genesis 37. If you would, let's turn to Genesis 37. And in Genesis 37, Joseph was sharing his dreams And in verse 9, we have another dream. Look what it says. And then he dreamed still another dream. And he told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. And so he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I... And your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you. Now, of course, uh, this is Joseph seeing the future, how one day God would raise him up to be second in command in the whole world, and they would bow down to him in that sense. But, but what we see right here, uh, Jacob, who is Israel, he understands that this you know, moon and stars and sun is in reference to his family. And his family was the nation of Israel. And so you fast forward to Revelation chapter 12. And when you read about this woman, and when you read about how she's clothed with the sun and the moon and the stars, and then when you put the whole chapter in context, and we're going to see it solidified in that truth, this is in reference to the nation of Israel. 
And back in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 2, and then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Now, we're not there yet, but um, we're going to see it as we go through our chapter. You guys who have read the Bible, this nation that is with child, that is pregnant, who do you think that child is? It's Jesus, huh? It's Jesus. I mean, Jesus was the one that they had promised through the lineage of Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob that through this seed, through this individual, the whole wide world would be blessed. And so the whole time, Israel's pregnant, so to speak, with that promise. So you ladies, you guys have been pregnant for nine months. That's probably kind of tough. I was thinking about some other, um, uh, I don't know, creations in God's world. The rhinoceros is pregnant for 15 months. Did you guys know that? Or an elephant. Do you know how long an elephant is pregnant for 21 months? Imagine that, ladies, if that were you. (laughs) But Israel was pregnant for 2,000 years. You know, the devil didn't know when Israel would come and, you know, give birth to the Messiah. The devil didn't know that. That's why through her whole pregnancy, her entire pregnancy, she had a hard time. The devil has always opposed Israel because he knew that through them, the Messiah would come. You know, how many times did the devil try to wipe out Israel? I mean, you can read it over and over again in all the numerous wars. You can read about it with the Egyptians, with the Assyrians, with the Babylonians, with the Persians. Remember with the Egyptians, the Pharaoh said, hey, whenever a boy's born, you know, make sure you wipe him out or you throw him in the river. I mean, with the uh, Persians, remember the whole, the whole plan of the enemy was to annihilate the Jews. And so this whole pregnancy with that promise of the coming Messiah, it was a painful time. It was a war. It was a war between the devil and Israel. And, and as we go through this chapter, we're going to see that God gives the victory. And then when we take and we're going to look at all the different wars, there's numerous wars that we're going to talk about today. God gives the victory. And I want to encourage you to know that God will give you the victory. He really will. And so with the, the nation of Israel, when Egypt was coming against them, God raised up Moses and then he delivered them. And just all the different things that we see with the Persians. Remember, God raised up who? Esther. Right? Come on, you guys. You got an extra hour of sleep. <laughs> and if you say the wrong answer, don't worry. We'll just make you come up here in the front and something, you know. And I'm just joking. Don't worry about that. We need to kind of say, okay, Lord, um, what's going on? Let me engage. Let me connect here. Let me learn your word today. As Israel is identified here, the one that is pregnant with the promise of the Messiah, it's going to be a painful uh, existence for them. Because look what we read next. We read in verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. And so I think like largely what the Lord is doing here is he's saying, here's Israel, here's the devil, and we're going to see here's the good angels and here's the bad angels. And we're going to see here's uh, the enemy knowing his time is short and here's you. 
And, and I have a hunch, man, that some of you guys here, um, you may not come out victoriously if you don't pay attention. Here the devil uh, is described as fiery red. He's this dragon who's fiery red. And I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 6. And remember here we have the, the horses coming out, the horsemen. And look what it says in Revelation chapter 6 in verse 3. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. And another horse, what color? Fiery red. He went out. And so here's something that you have to know when you're studying the book of Revelation. is It's not written in chronological order. The, the fiery red dragon, described as the second horse in Revelation chapter 6, verse 3, that's actually the halfway point of the tribulation period. And so the first three and a half years, when the Antichrist comes on the scene, it's going to be peace. It's going to be uh, beautiful, almost like a, a euphoria. Um, even though the church gets raptured, the world is thinking, man, this guy is the answer to all our problems. Think about the political world that we live in today. I mean, we are so divided, big time divided, right? But imagine a political figure that is loved by everyone, loved by the Jews, probably even loved by the Christians that were there. And so when you look at that, that Antichrist that comes onto the scene and everybody thinks he's the answer for three and a half years, it seems like he is. But then for the last three and a half years, it is hell on earth. It is. And that's why we see this red dragon. He's fiery red. And the fiery red refers to wars and death. Wars and death. It happens. And we're going to see this juncture right here. Revelation chapter 12. It really happens here in the middle of the tribulation period. And it says, and he threw, uh, drew a, ta- a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And so we know, uh, how many of you guys, when you study the Bible, how many angels do we know by name? Three, right? Only three, Lucifer, Gabriel, and Michael. We believe that they are the archangels, the three archangels to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so think about it. You, in one sense, have the angels of heaven organized into three classes, So all the ones that were following Lucifer when he fell, something you can read about in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, when he fell, he drew a third of those angels with him. And what are those angels now? They're demons. And so what we're talking about, you guys, what we're talking about is a war. It's a war. Listen, Christian, we don't live in a playground. We live in a battleground. Understand it's a war that's going on for you, for your marriage, for your children, for your church. I mean, there is a crazy war going on. And that's why in 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says to the soldiers that we must endure hardship. He says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And so what I'm encouraging you today, and for me too, because... Let me tell you something. My, my war is not over. You know, I, I mean, we fight from victory, not for victory. Like I told you guys already, the war in one sense is won. The World Series, so to speak, is already won. But what about my, my marriage? What about my mission? 
What about my children? What about my life? I mean, there's still, uh, there's still some uncertainty to it in a certain sense, depending on whether or not I'll do the things that we read today. Listen, the devil would love, and his demons, the one-third that he drew when he fell, they would love to come and take you and take your children. They would love to come and take you down and chew you up and spit you out and ruin your life in one sense. You've got to save soul, but a wasted life. And what we're seeing here is that the devil's no match for God. Just like the Lord defeated the devil in preserving the nation of Israel, and we're going to see the Lord defeats the devil time and time again, we've got to make sure that we do things his way. You know, we're almost done with 40 days of fasting, right? And I don't know, I'm, I'm almost afraid to ask. I won't ask, like, who fasted? You want to know why I won't show, ask for a show of hands? Because I have a hunch that a lot of people did not fast. And you're like, well, the Spirit didn't lead me. No, the flesh did. There's a lot of you don't want to fast. You don't want to skip a meal or two. Try going a day. And I'm going to challenge you guys this. As a friend, as a pastor, I'm going to challenge you this. Try going a day without eating. You do it. You do it. And then you tell me, next time you see me, whether or not if your heart was right, whether or not you felt closer to God, whether or not you began to sense his Holy Spirit, whether or not you began to hear his voice, whether or not he began to speak to you detailed things that you need to know as a disciple. But the bottom line is what? I don't want to fast. I don't want to. I'll, I'll be honest, even me. Okay, Lord, I'm going to fast today. I'm not going to eat all day, right? And so the first meal is pretty easy, you know, usually, right? Second meal, you're like, ah, maybe I, I should just go ahead and eat a little, you know, just like a granola bar. It's not like a big thing, Lord, right? But then maybe you get past that. And then there I am at night, to be honest, and my flesh, I'm not even hungry, to be honest, but, but my flesh is just telling me you got to eat something or just, you know, what I used to do when I used to wrestle is I would just eat a can of tuna. And I need fish when I teach on Sunday mornings because that's brain food, right? And so that's what I try to eat on Saturdays, right? And so last night I was just thinking, Lord, uh, by the end of the day, I'm thinking, oh, just, just, just a can of tuna, right? But I, and in the past, there have been other times where it's just a battle. And I, I'm just saying that not to be legalistic, not to be a Pharisee. But these are desperate times. And they require desperate prayers. And if you're not willing to deny the flesh, then that says something about you and whether or not you're really going to win the war. So I encourage you, challenge, I challenge you. Maybe there's a couple of you here that you have medical conditions that you can't do it. But if you can go a day without uh, eating, you won't die. And if you die, I'm sorry. So I did that to you. But, but all I'm saying is that we're in a war. Uh, the devil drew a third of the angels with him. That means that there are all these demons. The Bible says in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And therefore it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that the weapons of our warfare are not human. They're not carnal. They're not fleshly. But they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And so here we see... 
the, the, the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. And of course, that's what we know what happened in Matthew chapter 2 when uh, Jesus was born. You guys remember the story? Herod did what he could to try to kill Jesus. And you know, interesting thing, someone was talking about this. They said, you know, you think of a nativity scene. How many of you guys have nativity scenes at your house? And so you have Mary, you have Joseph, you have baby Jesus, you have the animals. Maybe you got a few shepherds there because they came a little later. But according to the Bible, you should also have a dragon there. The dragon. Because he was there ready to devour the child as soon as he was born. And you read Matthew chapter 2, and sure enough, Herod issued the command, and all the children who two years old and under, they died. But what happened? Do you remember what happened? What saved Jesus in those days? It was that the Lord uh, spoke to Joseph in a dream, and he warned him. He warned him. And so Joseph moved to a different place. And I'm telling you this, because we're in a war. We're in a war. God will warn you. God will speak to you. He will tell you things outside the box. Well, this is where I live. I don't understand. Why do you want me to move to Egypt? Well, because the king, he wants to devour your children. And, and this is part of the way that we experience the victory in the war that we're in. You know, a lot of warnings. Like, I will warn you guys. Hey, be careful. Don't get caught up in the world. Don't get entangled in the world. I will warn you guys, please. Don't settle for a life where you don't even really pray. Don't settle for a life that you don't even really fast. Jesus assumed we would fast. When we read the book of Acts, they fasted. So all that is kind of like my, my way of warning you. And, and yeah, the, the devil was there ready to devour Jesus. But Joseph heeded the warning and he protected his child. And so we read in verse 5 that she bore a male child. Who's that? Jesus. And as soon as it was born, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. And so go over to Revelation chapter 19. And notice what we read in verse 15. Speaking of Jesus, it says, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with what? A rod of iron. This is Jesus. And so Israel gave birth to, to Jesus, pregnant for 2,000 years. The devil tried to stop it, but he couldn't. Because God protected Israel. And then when Jesus was born, it says right here, it's interesting, going back to Revelation chapter 12, it says, and the child, she bore a child, and he was caught up to God and his throne. And so what's that right there? In one verse, you have the birth of Jesus Christ, you have the life of Jesus Christ, you have the ministry of Jesus Christ, you have the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you have the ascension of Jesus Christ. All of that in one verse. Jesus, in other words, was born and he went through the battle. The enemy tried to get him all along the way, but he prevailed. He overcame and therefore he ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. 
And, and again, I would say this. I think we can glean from that. I mean, of course, it's just identifying Jesus and what he's done. But, but to me, I always think about that. I'm like, Lord, your people are, were born, obviously. Your people have a ministry. And hopefully one day your people will prevail and then they will rise and they will be there in heaven rewarded because of their faithful service. And so we see uh, that she bore that child. And then we see in verse 6, it's interesting, it, it goes forward. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that, there should, they, that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And so now we fast forward into the tribulation period. And remember I was telling you that this is all taking place more or less halfway through the tribulation period. And so what's going to happen is the, the devil, and, and again, I'm not sure exactly which happens first, but the devil, we're going to see, gets kicked out of heaven. Halfway through the tribulation period, he goes into the temple. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and Jesus also spoke about it. It's the abomination of desolation, and he claims to be God. And it's that point where the, the, the Jews, their, the light goes on. And the Lord told the Jews, at that point, make sure you don't go home to get any supplies. He tells the Jews on that day, run, run for your life. And what we find according to Isaiah chapter 16, verse 1 and verse 4, is that God has prepared a place in Petra. It's back in the day it was Moab, uh, the city of Selah, but now it's Petra. And we believe this is an interesting place, 100,000 square miles. Any of you guys ever gone to Petra? I'm just curious. Uh, one day maybe we'll go there and we'll check it out. But um, it's this place uh, that's so, uh, it's enclosed. And the way that you get in is interesting. It's got these rocks that are a mile long and only a few feet wide. And that's what makes this place uh, very, very easy to defend from a human perspective, but also we know ultimately from a divine perspective that God is the one that protects them, that God is the one that preserves them. If he can provide for his children uh, in the wilderness for 40 years, he can provide for his children there in Petra for 42 months. And so again, if you can see the, the battle, God, God defeating, you know, the, the nation, uh, you know, the enemy coming against Israel. God defeating the enemy as he's coming against Jesus. That's in the past and in the present, in the future. God defeating the enemy as he comes against Israel again. And God is going to make application as we go through right here. And then we see in verse 7, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his archangels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old. That serpent of old, what does that remind you of? The Garden of Eden, huh? Called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And again, you guys... I'm just, I know there's a lot to this, you know. I mean, these are things that will take you a lifetime to study. But I think one of the things that God wants us to see is how he is more powerful than the enemy. 
And so you have the devil and his angels fighting against Michael now and his angels. It makes an MMA fight look like a ballet dance, right? Imagine, you guys. I was talking to my wife about this on the way in today. And she was asking me the same question. Well, we, are we going to be able to see that fight one day? Imagine that. The, the devil and his demons clashing, fighting vigorously against Michael and his. And some might say, well, no, it's just, uh, you know, God blinks and they win. Well, no, according to the book of Daniel, it doesn't happen that way. Gabriel, you know, had to rely on Michael to fight. And, and, it, and it tells me again, you guys, that, that God is stronger, that God gives us the victory. But he doesn't just say, hey, you know, go and, and kick back and, you know, sit down on the couch and watch television. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it for you. No, God says, get up off the couch and get on your knees. God says, you got to go out into life. You got to hear my marching orders and you got to fight. You got to swing that sword. You got to hold your ground. You have to lift up that shield of faith. We must fight. Just like, you know, Michael and the angels did. God will give you the victory. You husband, you wife, you parents, your marriage, your job, that mission field that you have in your neighborhood, the, the gifts, the talents, the task, the title, whatever it is, God will give you the victory. God is greater, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. But if you're not fighting, if you're not praying, if you're not in the word, if you have no desire for fellowship, if you don't have a hunger for the Bible, if you don't know you live in a war, then the, the, the devil's just going to put you to sleep. You know, the world, they're dying in the dark and they just can't, seem to come to that place because the church, unfortunately, is not really living that life. And so my encouragement to you as we're going through these things is we see, you know, the devil and, you know, Michael and fighting and God shows us that God gives uh, Michael the, the victory. No longer does, does the devil have access to heaven. You remember in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2 when the devil would come and present himself to God no longer is that, that place accessible. Everything's different now. The, the devil and his angels are now cast down to earth. And that's what I was saying earlier. All that happens about halfway through the tribulation period. And so here's something to think about. We're not going to be here, right? We're going to be in heaven. You guys, we're going to get raptured, right? But what does it tell you? It kind of tells you, I think, that sometimes in life, are, are more intense than others. Now, during the tribulation period, first three and a half years, it seems like not a big deal, but then, boom, everything hits. And I think in our life, I don't know where you're at, but man, the same thing can be true. You know, sometimes in life, it's, it's difficult. It's a struggle. The enemy attacks. It's the evil day. And so we read next in verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And here it is, you guys. If, if there's one thing that I really want you to hold on to because this is the, the, the battle, the war in the present. 
It says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you having a great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. And, and what we find when you look at the, the, the agenda of the adversary, the devil, is that he is the accuser of the brethren. And so, uh, you know, you read the book of Zechariah chapter 3. I was wondering if you could turn there real quick, you guys. You know, the, the devil will accuse you of things to God. He'll accuse you of things to others. Like people, I'm sure, talk about you just like people talk about me. You can't help that. That's what the devil does, right? But I think the most difficult one is when the devil accuses you to you. And he comes and he tries to condemn you, right? This is kind of what we see here. Now, in the book of Job, when the devil accused Job, was the devil telling the truth? No, right? The devil was not telling the truth. And so the devil might accuse you uh, to God or others or yourself, and it's just a straight-out lie. It's not true. That's not my heart. I love the Lord, and God knows it, right? And people can say whatever they want to say. Get behind me, Satan, right? He's just an accuser. Don't let him bring you down. One day, the Bible talks about this in the book of Isaiah chapter 14. When we look at the devil, we're going to say, that's the one that brought the whole earth to so much trouble. And, and one of the guys I was reading on that, he said that we give the devil too much ammunition. He's just a liar. Don't believe his lies. Don't follow his ways. He's just an accuser. Listen, do you know who you are? You're a child of God, right? And, and he'll lie about you. But sometimes they'll tell the truth about you too, right? Because <laughs> we fall short. Look what it says here in Zechariah 3. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And then he answered and he said to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a, a clean turban on his head. And so they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. And what we believe was going on here in the book of Zechariah chapter 3 is that the enemy, the adversary, was coming against Joshua and saying, look at him, Lord. Look at how filthy his clothes are. Look at him. Look at that guy, Manny. Look at the way he sins. Look at the way he falls short. Look at the way he doesn't pray enough. Look at the way, and you name it, all the list goes on and on and on. And it's true because I fail the Lord. I fall every single day. We all do. We all fall short. Every single person. Billy Graham, Chuck Smith, everyone does, right? 
But, but, but then it's kind of cool how the Lord is there. The enemy is the adversary, but the Lord is our advocate. And he says, that's okay. You watch what happens. And what does he do? He removes the filthy clothes and he clothes them in righteousness. And what we find, you guys, is that, you know, the devil will come and he'll be that accuser. And he will try to, you know, put you down and even tell you you shouldn't serve in the ministry. You, you shouldn't even go to church. You shouldn't even read. You shouldn't even pray. You're not worthy. And sometimes he lies and sometimes he tells the truth. Either way, we bring it before the Lord and we say, okay, yeah, he's the accuser of the brethren. And he accuses us day and night. But I know who I am in Christ. I know that I'm forgiven. I know that I'm not condemned. The Bible even talks about that in the book of Romans chapter 8. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. So the next time the enemy comes and he tries to whisper in your ear or try to scream in your mind, don't listen to him. He's just an accuser. God is the one who chose you for salvation. And, and back in Revelation, I think this kind of goes hand in hand with that principle it says in verse 11, and here's the thing that I want you to hold on to, you guys. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. And so there are three things, I think, here that are key to victory. Number one, the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb. What is the blood of the lamb? It's, it's, it's the blood that washes away our sins. You know, uh, we have certain uh, cleansers that wash certain things, right? For example, what do you use for glass? You know, Windex, typical, right? Or, uh, you know, certain things that we use for a sink or whatever. You got mold over here. I know that in our refrigerator, we have stainless steel refrigerator. And so there's a certain uh, cleanser that works just right for that. We also have a stove that's a glass stove. And you got to use this one cleanser because it works just right for that. Well, for your sins, you have the blood. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And so when God looks at you uh, from a positional standpoint, I know this sounds crazy, but he sees no sin. Do you understand that? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? That's how we overcome him. He died for us on that cross you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You've done that, right? And so the first thing that helps us overcome is, is the blood of the lamb. And I think there's two things about that blood. Number one, you got to know you're forgiven. You got to know you're forgiven. I'm forgiven, right? But number two, you got to know you're loved. You got to know you're loved. How will we overcome the devil and all his lies and all his agendas and all his assaults and all his missiles that he launches into our mind and all his attacks? How? The blood. And you know the blood that forgives you. And you know that blood that demonstrates his love for you. You know, I don't know. Maybe you go back to high school. And you know, you remember someone liked you. You found out. I remember when I was just a little boy and I found out this one girl liked me. Oh, forgive me, Shelly, for saying that. But <laughs> it was just a kid, you know. And they, and they liked you. And so there's this response. There's this response. 
Think about the person that you're married to right now. Some of you guys who are married, you know, someone had to bust the move first, right? And so, you know, you found out, um, wow, they, they love you. And then as you get, you continue to stay married or whatever, you realize it's true love. It's not puppy love. It's not infatuation. They really love me. And when that sinks in, the response is, to love them back. And that's what God is calling us as Christians to do. It's not like a religion. It's not complicated. It's not sophisticated. Listen, God loves you. He sent his son to die on a cross and shed his blood for you. He washed that, that, that hill Calvary in his blood and made it red. That's how much he loves you. That's how we overcome the enemy. The enemy comes and he accuses us and he tells us and he, you know, you're not worthy and he tries to condemn us and we have to come with this understanding. Number one, it's the blood of the lamb. Number two, it's the testimony. Notice again what it says here in verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now, there are some who say, well, this is you just sharing the word and standing on the word, and I think there's some merit to that. But kind of reading different commentaries and looking into the Greek, I think more along the lines of what it is is something that we're all familiar with is we all have a testimony, right? You know, there was a day that you did not know the Lord. And then there was a day that you got saved. And I think what helps helps us a lot is to remember that day. You know, John chapter 9, they were trying to get all theological with this guy and, you know, the Pharisees and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the, the, the blind man said, well, I don't know a whole lot, but I do know this, that once I was blind and now I see. And so here's something I want to challenge you guys in by the word of their testimony. I told you guys many times that a lot of times what I do when I pray is I just thank God for the day that I got saved. I, I always, man, when I, when I spend time with the Lord, and this is just me because I'm a big chion, I'm a big crybaby, I always cry. Always. When I think about where I was and how I'm saved. Always. It's just, I can't help it. And, and the word of your testimony is you just kind of thinking these things through. I think a lot of times we can just go through and live our life and we don't really have this in our arsenal. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to write down your testimony, okay? And if, if I'm going to ask Henry to check and make sure you guys follow through. <laughs> no, seriously. You're like, well, how do I do it? Some people have never done their testimony. And they don't share it with others. And like Randy was saying today, they don't even share it with themselves. They don't even know what God has done in one sense. And it took me a long time to really kind of get to the nitty gritty of my testimony. But here's how you do your testimony, okay? Three sentences. Where you were before Christ. How you got saved. And where you are now. Okay, so once you get those sentences, then the next day you do three paragraphs. Okay, where you were before Christ, how he came into your life, and where you are now. And then after that, you do a page on each. I'm telling you. And then when you do that, you're going to start, man, appreciating 
the things that God has done in your life. This is how we overcome the enemy. This is how we overcome him. By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. That's how we overcome the enemy. You know, I think of that passage. If you want to turn real quick to Luke chapter 14. I notice what we read here in verse 25 of Luke 14. It says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now you read that verse and some people are like, what in the world is he talking about, you know? Hate my, my family? Aren't we called to love our family? And, and you know, uh, it sounds kind of weird, but that's when you have to go back to the culture and realize what he was talking about and the idioms of the day. And basically what he's saying is that your love for God, your love for God must be so amazing, so pivotal, so a priority in your life that there is no comparison to any other love in your life. That you love him, and if you were to compare your love you know, to him, to anyone else, there's no rivals for God. That's how much I love him. And not, not just him over my husband or wife or children or whoever it is, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, but it's him over me. That I, that I, I, I love him more than I do my own life. You know, and at the end of the day, what ends up happening is this. There are, there are two types of people in the world. Those who say to God, your will be done. Or those to whom God says, okay, have it your way. See, I think that most of the church, and I don't want to you know, beat anybody up in particular, but I'm just saying I think most of the churches is doing what they want to do. This is what I want to do. I don't want to fast. I, I, I don't want to pray. You know, I don't want to really read the Bible. I don't really want to study it. I don't really want to go to a Bible study. I don't really want to share Jesus with others. I don't want to sit down long enough to have him tell me exactly what he wants to do in my life. I don't want to take that step of faith. I feel comfortable right where I'm at. And you go on and on and on. At the end of the day, what's happening is people are living what they want to do their own life and not the life of what God has called them to and so this is how we overcome the enemy. By the blood of the Lamb, I'm forgiven and I'm loved. By the word of their testimony, I'll never forget what Jesus has done for me. And they did not love their lives even to the death. And so the context here is probably speaking of the fact that the day will come when they will put a guillotine or a gun to your head and they just say, choose. You live for God, I'll kill you. You recant him, you get to live, right? What would you choose? Some people say, oh, I would die. I would die. If I was put in that situation, I would die. Um, well, let me ask you a question. If you, you would die then for Jesus, why can't you live for him now? Live for him, full on. Oh, you mean like every day? Yeah. No, no, just Sundays. Just Sundays, okay. 
No, every day. See, this is how we overcome the enemy. And I know I, I shared like a lot of general things, but coming back to this, you know, you look in the past and you see the, the, the wars that were historical that God won. And you look in the future and you see the, the wars that are prophetical that God won. They, they're to encourage us, I think, in the wars that are personal. That my prayer, that our prayer for you as a church, that you would win. We get to exalt God. We get to enjoy God. But that's only possible if we please God. And so notice what we read next. It says in verse 13, that when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. That's Israel, right? But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And we talked about that, how Israel will be there in Petra for three and a half years. I love the way that she was given two wings of a great eagle. We read that a lot of times in the Old Testament, how God bore his people on eagle's wings, right? And so the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And that, whether or not it's a literal flood, I mean, it, it probably is, but you know, it doesn't matter. The enemy comes against us like a flood, the Bible says in Isaiah 59. That he comes against us like a flood, but God will raise up a standard against him. And then we see in verse 17, And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that brings us back to that war that we're in, you guys. And the enemy, I think today even, he knows that his time is short. And so what we find is that he comes after our children. He comes after the children of God. And that's why, you guys, we have to make sure that we take these things to heart and that we ask God to give us the grace to win the war. And so, Lord, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for allowing us this opportunity. Lord, I know for me, Father, every day is a fight. Every day is a battle. I know the war is already won, the big war. But Lord, there are these battles along the way. And the enemy comes against us, Lord, like a flood. I pray, Lord, you would help us to take these things to heart, Lord. To, to heed the, the warnings, to answer the callings, Lord. To, to know the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And to not love our lives to the death. Father, I pray you bless your people this week. And Lord, as you would lead them to seek you in prayer and fasting, let it be you, not me. Let it be beautiful. Let it be glorious, Lord. If necessary, though, Lord, let it be different. Let it be deeper. I pray, Lord, that you would go before us as a church, our families, our nation. We love you so much. We thank you, Father, that we fight, not, not necessarily for victory in the war, but from victory. Thank you, Jesus, that you have overcome. Like your word says, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 
And Lord, if there's anyone here today, Lord, who doesn't know you, who has not yet surrendered their life to you, I pray that today would be that day, Lord, they give their hearts to Jesus Christ. We love you. Thank you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.